continuity of the gospel in the sense of verses, not sections of verses, but one verse, if we could sum up the gospel in. And you guys did a good job as you thought of different verses um, that would sum up, summarize the gospel. And we, as we did that, um, we found out a couple of things. And of course, one of the summary verses was John 3.16, right? That was one that we, was kind of a given that everybody knew. And so, you know, for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so most everybody got that. But as we kept going and talking about the gospel and verses in the Bible that would summarize the gospel, we tend to find out that they had one or two things about them that were in their nature. One was um, that they would be substitutionary in nature. And so when we were talking about the verses being substitutionary in nature, what were we talking about? someone to get over our sins and we can't get over ourselves. Right. We can't come to God by our own works, our own merit. And so when he would judge us as being righteous or good, we need someone to be a substitute for us. We need a sub-double for our sins. I was trying to think of a commercial. I think it was one of the phone commercials uh, that you get instant talk. And it was talking about people who were nervous at a wedding. And, uh, you know, the, the groom was too nervous. Uh, he wasn't ready for his part. He was out there all worried. So they had a stunt double stand in for him. <laughs> and, uh, and, and when they saw how good looking his was, the, the bride coordinated and went, Bingo! He's, he's really, he's much better. And, and our stunt double is much better. Jesus, who has to substitute for us, is the only one who's holy, right? And so if we try to summarize the gospel in a verse, uh, many of them had the whole idea of substitution in them, such as 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So that's exactly what it's talking about. The, the righteous one, Jesus, for the unrighteous. So when we summarize the gospel in a verse, many of the verses will have a whole idea of substitution in them. And there was one other area of thinking that the verses had in them too. And we use just one verse to, to summarize the gospel really in our own minds. So when we talk about it, we have it. One was that they tend to have a substitutionary nature of Christ's atonement, but what else did they tend to have in them? If I remember? Mike, you know because you got beat up for it last week because you volunteered. Because the Bible would tell us that, that 
that we not only need a substitute, but he is the only substitute and the only way to heaven. Right? So when we, so when we, when we look at one verse that might summarize the Bible, often, often there, there are verses that talk about the exclusivity of Christ, that he is the only way. So John 14, 6 would be an example of that. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me, but through me. Okay, so when you, when you do the summary, and it's in a verse of the Bible, of the Gospel, often they'll have those two things in there, either the substitutionary nature of Christ, that he has to stand in for us with his perfect righteousness, or they would show us that Jesus is exclusive. Now, next week, uh, my plan is to get us to a much bigger portion of Scripture that has all the different points of, of a gospel presentation that you, that you more than likely would, would speak about many times um, in talking to someone about Christ. One of the things that's happened is I think that unless God does something, you, we have really passed the age in America of, of big mass evangelism. We have really passed the age of door-to-door evangelism. Uh, not that those things can't ever work or won't ever work, but before, what you were rousing in a culture was truths that they already knew. You were bringing awakening truths that people had grown up with all their lives. And now when you preach those very same things and say those very things, they don't even have a clue what you're talking about. And, and, and so wording and all the rest that we used to use, it was just a part of the culture, isn't even there. So in our relationships with people, we have to build those things and talk about those things. And, and so it'll, it'll be much different. We're still called to do it, and I think God's going to do great things, but it's going to be through relationships and through speaking and encouraging and talking to people about all the truths that we know about the gospel. Now this week, I want to, I want to move us from just, and, and this really is a preparation, in just thinking about the gospel so that we can begin sharing it with others. And, and some of you are going to be frustrated at times because I'm not going to just give you gospel plans. Here's these four steps, whip it out, and, and, and that's it. What I want you to have it is to be saturated in the gospel, to know the gospel, so that, it, that it's a part of you, and that's what you're sharing. And you don't now, if you want to know four steps, we can give those to you, just so you can have this outline in your mind. But, but, but we're not looking for a magic book, bullet. We're looking to be gospelizers. We're, we're looking to be people who have the gospel truth, such a part of us, the good news of Christ's salvation, such a part of us that, that we can share. Now, this week I'm going from one verse that summarizes the gospel to, to verses that are three or four uh, verses in length that, that, has the, that has the truths of the gospel there. Next week I'm going to go for a much longer portion and give you someone's summary of the gospel so you can have those points in your mind. But this week we're just going to look at a couple uh, places in the Bible where, where the gospel is not just one verse but three or four verses. We're going to go to the Old Testament um, uh, to look first in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah 53. We have Jewish friends that still have a heritage in the scriptures and still would believe, well, at least the Old Testament is true. 
Um, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 are good places to mark and have known because in both of those places you get such a clear picture of what happens in the New Testament. And so um, we're going to, all of Isaiah 53 is good. We're going from this week from one place with one verse to a place with a couple verses that would summarize the truths of the gospel of good news. That Christ, being the only Savior, is the one who substitutes our substitute for sin. Isaiah chapter 53, and you look with me at verses 4 to 6. And this is talking about the suffering service. This is talking, we know, this side of the cross, it's talking about Jesus, right? The one that John the Baptist pointed to, who, who was the, 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 the sheep that would have taken the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What do you see? What are the two themes that you see there that we talked about that were in the single verses? Where do you see that? Uh, verse 5. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Yeah. You see, the gospel, the good news, always has in it that we have a substitute, right? Because our own righteousness won't do it. The bad news is that we are unrighteous. And as we can move along, we'll talk about you really can't give a good news presentation and people don't understand the gospel until they understand and believe the bad news that they need a Savior. A lot of false and, and terrible gospel presentations that are going on today are that you can have a better life if you come to Jesus. Your best life now. Have you ever heard that? It's a very familiar phrase in a very big so-called church. Uh, and, and if you follow the saints of the Bible, very often when they came, for what we talk about our best life now, they didn't have it. They had their worst life coming to Christ. They, they started being persecuted. They started being killed. Um, and, and, and so, but that's often the gospel. We, we change the good news that if you only come to Jesus, then you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Kind of the Americanized Ben Franklin gospel versus the truth of the gospel. If you come to Christ, you have eternal life. You have salvation. You can have joy that's abiding. But often your happiness in this life will not be uh, what the world says. That's often what we happened in also in, 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 in Russia, um, in the Soviet Union, when, when the doors opened, there's probably three things that went on there. But in Uganda, and actually it's happening in Uganda too, there are three things. There's, there's always, when the doors are open, the cults will go in. So there's lots of Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's False Witnesses, and Mormons, and others that will go, because they're so gospel for their gospel, their truth-minded, right? 
we, we see there the people out in the white shirts and the bicycles now and all that. You know, they're always out, right? And so if a company, if a country opens up, they're going to go, right? And then you see faithful missionaries going, but you also see the health and wealth kind of gospel going to the other nations. And that happened in Russia. You know, they said, oh, yeah, the Americans are here. We want to be like the Americans. And they said, come to Jesus, and you can have two cars and a garage and a picket fence. And, and, and that happens to a lot of the Ugandans, too. They, they've seen on television what America is like. And so someone says, come to Jesus, and everything will be fine. And the preachers end up driving, you know, big uh, Humvees and, and dress well. And the people's financial position doesn't change, but they keep promising that. And so that goes out. We, 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 we confuse the good news being that you'll be blessed materially somehow. God may bless you in this life materially, but that's not part of the gospel. And, uh, and, and so at the end, understand the good news is coming to Christ, but before they understand in, in his salvation and eternal life, but before that, they have to understand that God's wrath is upon them with the bad news, um, before the good news makes sense. So in the Old Testament, we have there the substitute, the, the, the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus pictured here, would be um, the one given for our sins. You see the exclusivity there at all? Can you figure out how it goes? You really don't need too close. Okay, go ahead. Would it be the Lord laid on him, the iniquity of us all? Yeah, and then it starts off with he. Right? Not many. Right? There's only one that this is going to be. There is going to be only one of this suffering servant. And we know it's Jesus in the New Testament, right? But it doesn't say many will come. There will be a bunch that this is going to happen to, right? But it says he and on him, right? And so it's exclusive again, too. So in a gospel presentation, you know, well, I just want to understand, starting from the single verses, you know, you always get those two thoughts in there, the little three there, that uh, it is exclusive, there is only one who can do this, and there is one who will substitute for us, not many. All right, let's go to the New Testament. We're going to look at uh, two, two of them. First one we're we'll looking at is, is probably one um, that, um, for myself, is uh, probably the most moving for me. This is when I need to understand the gospel. I come back here all the time, um, and, and I read it to myself, and I say that's me, and, and, I, and I tend to want to end every sermon uh, with this portion of scripture. So let's turn to the Book of Romans. Understand the gospel, the good news. Have verses in our in our understanding as we talk about people, we're thinking about ourselves, and we can share the good news with others. 
we've done it with last week with sets of one verse that could have pictures of the gospel in it. Now this is a set of just a different place. If I if I only had a few minutes with someone and I wanted to share with them, and so I would I would really encourage you to mark these places and you go back and meditate on these. Right? You go back so that if you have these places, because most of the time, you know, we're we're we're, we're doing our life, right? You know, we get up and we're late, we're out the door, we miss breakfast, and, and, and you know, and, and as you're going out the door, your husband or wife tells you something you need to do that day, and you didn't have it on your schedule, right? And say, add that on, you know, post it stuck to your forehead somewhere as you go out the door, and you're trying to think of an excuse to tell your boss when you get there, and you get caught in traffic, and, and, you were going, and you're going to stop on the way at least for something to eat, but you don't have time to do that now, right? And then you're at work, and then you sneak around the boss, and you're there, and you're doing your job, and you're trying to catch up with what you did yesterday, you know, and then you go to the bathroom, and you come back, and, uh, and, and you notice that someone in a, in a, in a carol next to you, or just, you know, it just isn't right. Right? And, and you say, gee, I hope I see him later. So maybe at lunch you sit down, and you see the person you know they're struggling, and and you listen to them, and you know that you should say something about the gospel. Right? And it's like, yeah, hmm, I could just give them something. I'm not talking, but, but, but if we don't have this stuff, if we don't have the gospel in us, we haven't meditated on it, we don't know it. I'm not talking about four specific points. I'm talking about that you are so knowing. Christ is the only way. And so when they start saying, well, I am a, uh, uh, I'm a Quaker in my background, and, and, uh, and my grandmother was a Christian, and you have to be convinced of the specific Christ that unless they are, they're not going to go to heaven, right? And then you have to be convinced of the enemies that they're sinners, and they must have a substitute. So those are two Basics you always have to get across. It starts in those first verses, right? But if you don't have that in you, if you don't have it living in you, if you don't know it, if you're not sure of it, you're not going to be able to give it to someone else. So now, it, it, these other verses, just meditate on it because they're so rich for your own soul. I go back and preach this stuff to myself. Because I need to hear it. Okay? And so I can get these things out because I read them to my own soul. Um, and they're a part of me. That's why I was able to go to, to these ones. The, the last one in Isaiah, particularly, I think, of the Old Testament, and this one in the New Testament. So Romans 8 5, uh, starting verse 8. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't grow up in the church. And the only where we where let me just go ahead and read verses nine and ten. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we get saved from him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, what two theological principles do you see in there again? Two 
see some of other places. What else do we see? What's the other principle we've seen here? Intolerance? Yeah, that's true. But, but that, we got to take it. Exclusive. We got to take it. Especially here in New England, you're going to get yeah, in one sense, God is intolerant. You know, God is intolerant of men right? And so, yeah. But you see, once again, in the gospel presentation, there's always those two parts, right? There has to be a substitute, and there is no other way. But I didn't grow up in the church, and and but I knew the only the only um, system of good and bad that I knew was because I was a boy scout. And I knew that the scout was trusted in the local friendly priest, and would be in triple three, fifty three, when they read it. And I knew that. I could whip it off then better and clearer than I could now. But I knew that I wasn't those things. You know, my mother made sure one time she came into my room and lit you know, She said, A scout is clean? <laughs> I looked around my room and it's obvious that this scout wasn't clean. And she wasn't looking at my soul. She was just looking at my room, which was a very clean picture of what my soul was. Right? But I knew that I couldn't live up to that. And I knew that I was an enemy of God. Right? That God shows his love for us. In fact, I, remember, I still remember when when in high school, in my junior, junior, thank you, for sure, junior high school, uh, a young man uh, came and wanted me to go to an organization called Young Line. Um, it was an outreach high school kid. I worked for them later for five years. But at that time, I took this young man up and I threw him across our biology class. And I said, don't ever talk to me about that again. I knew that I was an enemy of God. I didn't take any, any understanding of that in me. But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Therefore, we have been justified by his blood. Much more we shall be saved from him the wrath of God. I didn't want the wrath of God, and I knew that my life couldn't justify anything. And the joy of what I found out now as I've considered this more, you know, you know what I know about my Christian life when I lay it out before God? If I was ever trying to justify by it. There's never a week, a week that I make it. You know, when I preach, all the things I'm preaching about that I hope that God will instill in all of us. If I had to ever live by those and be judged by those one week, one day, one minute, I'd go straight to hell. That's since I became a Christian. Right? And so it's not that I need it at once. I need it every day. And that's why it's so joyous. That's why the good news is so good. It wasn't just that it was good back in 19... Whatever it is, I have to go back and figure out the years. I have to figure, try to figure out what year this is anymore. I'm in the 2000s now. I'm still getting that straight. I'm still back in the 1900s. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. They get the exclusivity too, right? So 
So in the gospel presentation, you'll always have those two things. The exclusivity of Christ, that it can't be a true good news presentation without a Savior who actually saves. Right? All the other religions of the world don't save anything. They give you good propositions to what you have to do. Do what Buddha says. Do what uh, uh, Mr. Sweet Borgian says. You know, do what whoever says. And if you have to do that, what do we know about those doing and those things? We can't do them. Unless maybe it's the hedonistic gospel of Hugh Hefner. You know, we could probably do a lot of those, but that's not salvation. Right? And so all these good news things of the world, these religions, go do this, be this, do that. You can't do it. You can do it outwardly, but even if you do it outwardly, you know what? Your heart isn't in it. And and, and very say, I mean, face it. We can be taking communion and planning what sin we're going to do the afternoon. So if we ever have to stand a moment in our own righteousness, we're in trouble. That's why the good news is so good and it remains good. That's why it's good every Sunday. That's why it's good every morning when I wake up. Because I never make the standard. But Christ, my substitute, always has. And he continues loving me. That's what wonder is. We're going to go to um, another place in the New Testament, and Paul has kind of summed it up for us here. So, First Corinthians 15. As we go here, are there any other places in just a few verses where some of you um, have thought about the gospel being summarized? I think that was a tiny bit of a sentence of an of a assignment I gave last week, but not, I didn't do it all that strongly. Well, we've been looking into uh, Hebrews lately, and in Hebrews 9... Excuse me, let's, we're going to keep your finger there, we can always turn back to 1 Corinthians, but Bill has Hebrews 9, so let's go there. Hebrews 9... Let, let us get there, Bill. 9, yeah. and verses 14 and 15. Okay. This is that may be a little more hidden, but I think it's the gospel. Okay, Hebrews 9, 14 and 15. Let me read it. Um... Yeah, and why don't you just go back to verse 11, Bill, okay. as it's talking about the difference in, in religion, the high priest, right, and the religion, and, and finding, finally having that one substitute. So, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls, and with the ashes of a heifer, sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, the next two were the ones I think hit it, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. 
yet works there as our sins. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may reserve, may receive the promised eternal inheritance. See, our conscience is, is really the uh, part of us that knows when we sin. And that, that hurts us if we're a Christian. And, and especially, you could take that with the Old Testament, right? And, and that would be a good set of verses. You could just talk to someone who knew something about the Old Testament, especially the Jewish person. You take Isaiah 53, right? And combine Isaiah 53 with the explanation of it here, of the final sacrifice in the New Testament, that is Christ. Uh, those two especially together would, uh, I think, be helpful and effective. Before we go to the other one in 1 Corinthians, are there any other ones that you folks think of as a set of verses that you would go to to talk about the good news with someone? Gospel 
the message that Paul would preach in all the churches when he went on his missionary journey was almost lost uh, by the Judaizers who were bringing people back to the whole idea that you could earn your salvation. Yes, you had to believe in Jesus, but it was Jesus and your good works. And what does Isaiah tell us about our good works? They're filthy rags. That all the best thing you and I do in God's sight by itself is still a filthy rag. Some of you had those. Uh, some of your husbands have those. He brings them in, you know, from the garage once in a while. And what do I do with this? <laughs> you know, some of you say, well, I'm sure you say fidget, right? It's not worth anything. And, uh, you know, we really don't like to think of that, do we? I'm going to commend later. Um, uh, the people yesterday who went to the ESL class and are getting excited about that ministry. And we commend Jan for coming and teaching us. It was really cool. It's really neat. I'm excited about it. I'm glad they took Friday night and Saturday came in the rain and did all that. And uh, I'm going to hold up your filthy rats. <laughs> and that I mean, it really is true. We need to come in each other. But if we ever had to stand by our works, ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand what they are. Because in doing those, even to the glory of God, if they have any measure of clean cleanliness to them, they're for His glory. You know? and, and they're made good because... There to him in that sense. But, but if we ever need to stand by any of those things, we're in trouble. And that's, the, that's why the good news remains good. Because God knows that our motives are mixed for the way we do things. We never do things purely. He's thankful for that. He knows our stumblings, but it's the work of Christ that he looks at it all the time. It's only time. Right? So here's Paul. He's going on now. He's going to lay out the gospel. Now, First Corinthians 15.1 Now to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive and which you stand that's what we stand in, beloved and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you not your works, unless you believe in vain for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures Isaiah 53 that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. There it is in the beginning in verses 3 and 4 in particular. For I delivered unto you the first report which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. There's about as good a summary as you can get. And we'll develop the points in a bigger portion of Scripture next week and all that. But what two themes do we find again in the Gospel? What two themes do we always find together? Substitutionary. That Christ died for our sins. No one else. We can't die for our sins. There is no other substitute. So, the substitutionary nature and what other themes? Right? Can't be anybody else. The gospel doesn't have anybody else's name. This is the only good news. 
If you take the good news isn't good anymore, if you put any other name there, because no one else is holy, no one else is righteous, no one else can substitute. Okay? So if you're going to be a gospelizer, if you're going to be one who lives and loves the good news, you have to have those scriptures as a part of you. And, 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 I, and I would mark them and read them because of what, who you are, what you depend on. And it really is good news. Not this little thing that you've got to pull out and say, oh yes, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be gospelizing. Those who share the gospel, I know it's everywhere, somewhere. And then you find it and say, oh, this tool just might work. But it becomes that you're so excited about it. You know that when you think about your own life and the, and the only good things you're doing, and you, you go to the truth of the word, hold them up and say, ugh, I want that to stand before God. Because I know it's mixed. But I want Christ to stand before God and I stand under him. He's my substitute. Well, we have something else in Sunday school. I'm going to pray in this part. Father, would you have us so in love with you that you have given us Christ, that, that, that you know us, and you know even in our safe position depending upon Christ, good things we do really are filthy rags. We, we don't like to say that. You receive them lovingly through Christ and because you love us. You rejoice that we have them, but we will never stand by them. It's Christ. It's Christ we love. It's Christ we depend on. Fill us with your spirit. Help us be enthralled with this good, wondrous news. May we know it. May we read it. Feed on it. And uh, share with others for Christ's sake. One of the ways that we are um, seeking to talk to people we wouldn't even know or have connections with, so we can tell them the good news, is through uh, the English as second language uh, ministry that we're hoping to start. Um, we're further along than we were. By God's grace, we, we have an idea. Others have done it. Uh, they've shared the idea with us. We've uh, located a building where we could have it. God has opened up Harvey Wheeler, and we have it uh, rented for the spring, uh, starting for the spring, winter, starting January, uh, through the spring. Uh, we're... We have people, as we've been talking to our neighbors and friends, and uh, who we who have some who are interested in coming even now, before we even got started. Um, we have a director, Daphne Cosmias. Uh, we have, uh, I think, 10 or 11 people now in our congregation who have taken the training. We had Jan come and teach us. And so we're on our way. And so we're excited about that, but the purpose is, is because we want others to know the good news. We want them to know Christ our Savior. And if that would be a part of that, we would rejoice if God chooses to do that. Um, it's just one way, but uh, it, it's a joyous way of seeing used by God before. I'm going to have Jan just come up. Uh, Jan uh, leads um, and teaches ESL. Um, English is second language, uh, training courses. She's done 23 of them now um, around the nation. She's
does it for the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. And her church, Chapelgate Presbyterian, in, in the Baltimore area. Mark and I were married in the church when it was still a PCUSA church. And uh, it was called Chapel Hill, I think. And, uh, and it became a PCA church. And it's uh, moved and it's gotten bigger. Uh, they, in their uh, uh, class, I think they have uh, 80 students a week. I think about 30 teachers and helpers, 35 teachers and helpers every week. Budget of $20,000 put into that every year. Um, and, uh, and have just been excited about what has happened in their own congregations. But it's something that can be done and multiplied uh, throughout the nation. It's being done now. I know there's an ESL class in Maine, right? Uh, I saw it when I had breakfast there one time. But they don't have the same purpose we have. We have a, a bigger purpose behind that. It's to give, give people a gift of English, but also if God works, to give them a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jan, because she's had been done this for a while, I just want her to come up and tell you some stories of, of uh, seeing the gospel come alive in people's lives because someone sat down with someone else and was willing to give them the gift of English and develop them with friendship and they were able to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. Jan, you can come up and do that for a few guys. I was up in Manchester three weeks ago and did a training there. The, the uh, PCA Church in Manchester um, has decided that they, in January, want to start an ESL ministry as well. And it's been exciting to be able to travel around and and work with folks who are interested in doing ministry. Uh, I started doing ESL um, at our church. It had been going on for 10 years. And I was a a second grade teacher and I was busy. So I didn't have time. And it was in the church bulletin every week. And I thought, yeah, but um, I'm busy. (laughs) And so um, I stopped teaching and was invited to observe in the ESL class. And, in fact, my friend Jackie said, and I'll pick you up. <laughs> and I thought, okay, but I'll go observe. And I saw the enthusiasm of the students uh, sitting in the classroom. And I was humbled at how um, enthusiastically they came to class each week. They wanted to learn English. And they come with a variety of English proficiencies, um, the ministry that we have going on at our church now, we're actually in our 12th year. And so we have lots of volunteers, and we have seven levels of English proficiency. So the classes are not divided by ethnicity, they're divided by English proficiency. And so we have entry-level students. We had a lady um, come to our class. She is from Iran. She's a grandmother. And when we asked her to uh, write her name, she wrote it in Farsi. So we we have a little uphill battle there <laughs> that we're going to start out by teaching her how to write her name in English. And so we have folks at that level, and we have folks who go all the way up to um, doctors and master's level graduate students who just want to improve their English. They want to learn more idioms. They want to learn more about American culture. And so we have different classes for the different levels. But we need teachers to teach at those different levels. 
and classrooms in order to, to have that. Uh, my first year teaching, I had a wonderful Chinese couple, and their names were John and Myra. Now, they, I learned that they had just come to America uh, about a year and a half before we started class, before we were meeting together. They were my age, and so they were in their late 40s. We were in, I taught the beginner level class that year, and that was the lowest level of English proficiency. Through pantomime and pictures, John let me know that in China, he was the director of a sports complex. Now, if any of you watched the Olympics, you saw that sports was a big deal, and still is a big deal in China. At that sports complex, they had parachute jumps. They had multiple swimming pools. They had multiple soccer fields and gymnasiums. And he was the manager of that sports complex. But here in the U.S., he's a custodian in an elementary school. He wanted to live in America. He was willing to give up what he had, the status that he had in China, to be, to be able to have a different life in America. He told me that year that he would gather papers from the uh, trash can. And he would look at the student papers and make sure that they didn't have very many mistakes on them so that he could learn English by reading these elementary school papers. He told me that he papered his bedroom wall with these papers so that it was the last thing that he saw when he went to bed and the first thing that he saw when he woke up. He wanted to learn English. He will tell you today that where he learned English was at our ESL classes. He started out in my beginner level class. And he would turn to his wife when they were practicing pronunciation. If she wasn't doing it the way he thought it should be done, he would say, We have found that often that it takes about two years in each class for them to progress. So John and I are were in my class for two years. Actually, John was studying so hard. He wanted to be corrected in every situation. So in a social setting, whatever it was, he wanted me to correct his English. Now, in the six years that I've been teaching, he's the only one that has given me that permission. So as a general rule, you never correct their English when you're having a conversation. But John wanted to that year, he progressed to the next level, and Myra stayed with me. That first, those first three weeks of class that year, she was my only student, the only one. And she said, that's okay, because then it's tutoring one-on-one. By the end of that year, I had nine students that came every week. So you don't know how many <coughs> students you're going to have in the class. So don't be discouraged if you have one or two. The end of that year, she moved on. Last year, they promoted me, and so I began teaching the intermediate class, and John and Myra were in my class once again. Now, we had stayed friends because we, uh, halfway through the class, we have a break time. And so at break time, I would catch up with John and Myra, see how they were doing. We each have a daughter at the same age, and so we would talk about our daughters and what they were doing. Their daughter was in, at the university um, in the Baltimore area, and she graduated, and so I asked them 
I remember, I guess three years ago, John told me that he had gone to the doctor, he had a sore finger, and he'd gone to the doctor and he went by himself instead of bringing an interpreter. And he said, I got maybe 70%, but that's okay. <laughs> Often when I was talking to John, I got 70% of what was said. Um, the end of the second year that I had been teaching there, John and Myra had built a house. They, the first year they lived in an apartment, but they built a house. And so they invited my husband and me to join them for dinner at their house. And it was a real privilege. But when we went home, got back in the car to go home, my husband said, I think I got 30% of what was said. <laughs> so that's okay. I only got about 70% of what was said. That's okay. That's okay. They don't understand everything we are saying. We don't understand everything they are saying. But that's okay. Christmas that first year, we were having a Christmas party, and that year we had it at the pastor's house. And so all of our students came with the teachers to a Christmas party at the pastor's house. And the pastor um, got out their nativity scene, and he explained the Christmas story using the nativity scene in simple English. Well, in preparation at teachers' meeting before that, they said, what, what shall we do for the Christmas party? And so one of the teachers said, well, let's sing Christmas carols. And I thought, and they said, each class um, will sing, well, no, as a whole group, we'll sing Christmas carols. Well, I was thinking, okay, in my class, I had um, eight Chinese students and one Korean gentleman. And I was stereotyping because what I said to myself, my Korean man probably knows Christmas carols because I know that there are a lot of Presbyterian churches in Korea. And so I was thinking, okay, he might know some Christmas carols, but my Chinese students, especially those that had only been here a year or two, they probably don't know any Christmas carols. So I thought, I'll start with an easy one in class. And so I thought, we'll do a wedding in the manger. So I, I passed out words. And I enjoy singing. And so I started singing Away in the Manger. And John started singing it in Chinese. And I thought, well, I knew he'd been a musician because he brought in a picture of me uh, playing the guitar. And he said he'd been in a musical group in China. But he was singing Away in the Manger in Chinese. And I said, you know this? And he said, he, had, he and his wife had come from a village in China, and he pantomimed and showed me that in the 70s, um, anything having to do with church people would be in jail. I think that's what he said. Um, in the 80s, we were watched. And in the 90s, it was okay. Church was okay in the villages in the cities. And he knew away in nature. Now, I have come to find out since in the last six years, at that time John and I were not Christians. They knew about the Bible. As many folks here in the U.S. know about the Bible and know about Christianity. But I'm happy to tell you today that John and I are that they, in talking to a Chinese-American um, gal from our church, 
she was able to talk to them in Chinese so they really did understand what we were talking about and who Jesus really was. And they had each prayed and asked Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of their lives. It is a privilege to be able to teach people like John and Clara. They had real problems. They have teeth that need to get infected and need to be extracted. They um, lose their job. They have family members who are sick in their home countries. They have difficulties that you can't even imagine. As well as health issues and difficulties that we have. It's a privilege to be able to serve these folks, to get to know them, to become their friends, and to represent Christ as we minister to them. I encourage you to, if you don't have time to be involved in the ESL ministry, that you can help my friend. Pray for your teachers. Pray for the students. Pray that relationships will be built and that God will be glorified through this ministry. Thank you for being willing to have a part of it. not too late to be a helper uh, and find out more. So Jan's there, uh, Daphne's in the back, uh, we have a bunch of, who else that's here today went to the train? Raise your hand. Hi. So you can see people, if you want to find out more about it um, and learn more about it, they'd be glad to do that. All right? Well, enjoy your break and have a great worship.